0: Alright, so we're going to continue our series on uh, just the Frequently Asked question series. And this is the series we, we called, or I called, um, Three Lies and the Truth. Uh, the first week we talked about the truth, right? And basically the truth about the truth is that it exists. There is truth, we can know it. God is, exi- exists, he's made himself well known, he's not hiding, he's not uh, hiding under a rock somewhere that you, so that you have to descend to the depths to find him, he's not on top of a mountain somewhere so that you have to climb uh, to, to the great heights of Everest or whatever to find him. He is right here, he's within us and he is all around us and he's not hiding. But humans, we, the, the very pinnacle of his creation, we've suppressed that truth. We don't like that truth, and so we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And we we result. The result of that is we believe three enormous lies. We believe a million lies about God, but the three enormous lies uh, that result of the uh, result from this suppression is the the romantic or the sexual lie. It's uh, that there's a person out there who can fulfill you. That there's a a sexual thing out there that can fulfill you. Uh, Tim Keller has a book called Counterfeit Gods, and he talks about this. I, I've never heard this phrase before, but it's so shockingly accurate. He says most men live with the belief that there's a, an apocalyptic sex experience out there that will make them fulfilled. Um, it's an implicit belief. You don't really think that, but you kind of think that. And because you kind of think that, you always go around sad that you haven't had it yet. It, it doesn't exist. And so we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about the happiness lie. And the happiness lie is that there is something out there that when you get it, you'll be happy. When you just get this. And it's, it's your lie, so I, don't, I can't necessarily come up with the words for you. But um, you'll know what your lie is when you just say the phrase, I'll be happy when... Whatever just came to your mind, that's your lie. So, what we're going to do is look at why those are lies. Why it's a lie to think that we're going to be fulfilled, that we're going to be content, that we will have joy and peace when we just get that. As a way of introduction, I want to ask you this question. I found it interesting um, I got on the internet, well, I get on the internet hourly, um, but uh, I got on the internet today, and I asked myself the question, who do I think is the saddest person, whose life do I think was the saddest uh, of the people, of the you know, the famous people that we all know? And I came up with different uh, different candidates, so you can decide who you think was the saddest. Amy Winehouse, Grammy winner, beautiful, beloved addicted, died at the age of 27 from alcohol poisoning, famously wrote a song, They're Trying to Make Me Go to Rehab, But I Won't Go, Go, Go. 27. Drank herself to death. That's sad. Ain't? Whitney Houston's sadder, right? She has had all the beauty, all the fame, all the talent, all the money. Died of 48 from complications. Uh, she drowned in her bathtub, uh, from probably had a cocaine-related heart attack and drowned in her bathtub. Just, and, and by the time, she, before she died, she had done so many drugs and so much abuse that she, she had lost that beautiful voice. There's a billionaire named um, Kim Jung joo a Korean youngest uh, billionaire in Korea, um, invented, I think he created uh, one of those games that all of our kids play. He was uh, a, a multi-billionaire, way on up there, the third richest person in, in South Korea. Sounds like a lot. He, uh, he died in Hawaii. So not only was a, he a billionaire where there was nothing in the world that was too far out for him, but he was pretty much in paradise. He died in Hawaii, probably from suicide, seeking treatment for his depression. And then another one who honestly is, is my winner... You'll have to look him up if you want to know more. But his name was Ehud Lanier. He was a Belgian billionaire, multi-billionaire, about 200 billion, who died from complications for plastic surgery. Fascinating. Now, why do I bring these people up? Because I'm Ricky. If I tried to tell you that all the beauty in the world won't fulfill you, then you're going to go, how would you know? If I tried to tell you all the money in the world would try to fulfill you, you would be like, Ricky, you've got two nickels to rub together. You're a thousandaire. How would you know? If I tried to tell you that all the fame in the world won't fulfill you, you would say, Ricky, you're the third most popular preacher on 101st between Sheridan and Yale. How would you know? And so I bring to you these people, Whitney Houston, Elvis, uh, billionaires, Uh, artists and, and there were miserable people who found life so hard, so depressing that they had to rely on continual drug use to survive it and ultimately it killed them. And I'm bringing their ghosts in here in front of you to show you there is nothing out there that will fulfill you. It doesn't exist. The pursuit of happiness is a lie. There is not, happiness is not out there for you to pursue. Happiness exists. And frankly, Christians should be experiencing it. I think that the New Testament is clear that uh, the the resting place for the needle of a Christian, our needle should be resting on peace and joy, contentment. I mean, yes, there's going to be times of mourning. Y'all know I know that. And there's going to be times where you struggle with depression, and I definitely know that. and uh, when those times come, I just encourage you if, if you struggle with depression, full court press I mean don't don't let it win, please. the only The only unbiblical wrong way to fight tradition, uh, depression is to not fight it. F- you know fight, fight it, get healthy. But beyond that, the, the typical Normative Christian position is peace, is joy, is contentment. And the reason for that is because we have everything we need. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content as long as I have shelter, clothing, and food. I'm content. Leonard Skinner says... Forget your lust for rich man's gold, because all you need is in your soul. If the Apostle Paul and Leonard Skinner agree, I think we're right. I think we're on good footing. So let's uh, stand and read what the Apostle Paul says to us about contentment and how to gain it. In First, first Timothy chapter six, verses six through 19. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life into which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Thus far the reading of God's Word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. And the grass withers, and the flowers fall. But not God's Word. God's Word stands forever. You may be seated. The, the needle, the, the standard resting position for the Christian ought to be joy, peace, and contentment. If we don't experience that, there's a reason why. It could be um, envy, like, like um, Jonathan preached on a few weeks ago. Envy is the, the belief that when I get so-and-so, I'll be fulfilled. It could be anxiety. Um, it could be regret. Regret is the belief that God got something wrong. Anxiety is the belief that God's going to get it wrong when it, just as soon as he can. As soon as he can mess this up, he will. Contentment is the belief that we have everything we need in Christ. Now, The first thing I want to talk about is how nothing on this earth fulfills us because the promise of happiness is just always just out of reach. And honestly, the happier people on the earth are the people who haven't gotten that thing yet because they at least get to live under the the deluded lie that when they get it, they will be happy. I mean, the, the most miserable people, the people I mentioned, are the people who got all that stuff. And they were still empty. They were still unfulfilled. And so their lives turned miserable and broken. Um, Discontentment, for the Christian, discontentment comes from taking a good thing. God surrounded us with so many good things. But when we make a good thing the ultimate thing, When we make the good thing the thing that we must have, that we are incomplete without, discontentment begins to grow in our hearts. We begin to get angry with God. Why are you withholding this? We get angry at ourselves. Why do I keep failing to get this? We get angry with the people around us. Why are you standing in my way? Discontentment is that that taking a, a good thing, wealth. It's it's a good thing. God, Paul tells us how to use it. To the rich in the world, he didn't say, you know, go beat yourselves up and throw yourselves into a ditch. You're awful. He said, use your your riches to bless, be generous. But for those, is it's typically those who don't have wealth think. When I just get there, if I could just make now I remember the day I thought, if I could just make thirty thousand a year, man, I'd have everything I needed. I, I do make that now, um, and I do have everything I need, but it's not the reason. Uh, beauty, a good thing. Song of Solomon is a, a long poem that Solomon writes about the beauty of his wife. Beauty is a good thing. But it's fleeting. You probably look the best you're ever going to look right now. You'll probably look a little bit worse tomorrow and so on and so forth until your glory falls and your grass withers. It's fleeting. You can't keep it. (laughs) Y'all are terrible. Um, I was thinking about going bald when I said that. Um, children. And children are great. I I, I loved my kids. Bianca and I were talking about this last night, actually. We were sitting. The house is quiet. You know, there's a period between, like, the boys doing their summer things, and they come home for a couple weeks, and then they go to college, and they went to college. And we're like, it's fun having an empty house, isn't it? And then Bianca felt guilty, and she said, well, I miss my kids. I said, yeah, but we don't have kids anymore. Yeah, sure. Eight-year-olds were great. If I could trade in my 20-year-olds for 8-year-olds. I'd probably do that. But kids grow up. And kids disappoint. And kids make terrible decisions. And they break your heart daily. Marriage. We talked about this at length last week, so I'm not going to go that much into it, but what we discovered last week, what we talked about last week, is that Yes, being single is always hard, and sometimes it's devastating. And marriage is always hard, and sometimes it's devastating. And I don't care how great your marriage is, it's going to end in one of two places. You're either going to get divorced, or your spouse is going to die, or you're going to die. And both of those are terrible. I went and, I made a new friend last week, and um, while I was in her bedroom talking to her, she mentioned her husband and how she always has her husband with her, and then she pointed to the urn on the bedside table. I was like, oh, I guess you kind of do. I think she would, you know, trade that. Success, you know, status. Once you get there, you find that it only brings more responsibility. There's, there's this great lie that so many of my friends have lived under, at least for a time, this, this thought that, okay, well, I have to work you know, 60 hours a week right now so that I can get promoted. And when I do, then I can have a normal, healthy work-life balance. And I don't know of a promotion that requires less hours of work. I'll be honest. It could be out there. I haven't seen it yet. Um, so j- just, you can quit lying. And for those of us who pretty much have what we need for a comfortable life, then the worry becomes security security. What would that even mean that I don't lose anything I have that i don't my children don't grow up and disappoint me, that no one I love gets hurt, that nothing I have gets taken away i um, I, I know a woman and man in the uh, Mississippi Delta who there was a prediction that the Mississippi that Mississippi was about to have a cataclysmic earthquake uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, it was a prediction based on planet alignment. It didn't happen, but uh, it was supposed it was going to be the great the biggest earthquake in history. Everybody I knew had like tents out behind their house. It was kind of like Y2K, but weirder. People had tents out behind their house, bottles of water, cans. Y'all remember that, I bet. It was, it was, it was strange, because most of us, a lot, I would say a full third of people were convinced this was going to happen, and uh, a friend of mine, he wanted to drive across the Mississippi River to get to Arkansas, and his wife just absolutely would not let him, because the earthquake might happen when they were on the bridge, and so he finally, he just talked to her, and talked to her, and and finally, she said, okay, if we all wear life vests and we tie ourselves together so we don't lose anybody, we can do it. And so they put on their life vest, tied a rope around each of them, drove across the bridge. And when he got to the other side of the bridge, he said, you know that all that would have meant was we would absolutely drown. Like, <laughs> what, what that meant was we weren't getting out of this car, not in the best case scenario. You know. So you, you, security, holding on to it, none of those things are real, none of those things actually can be held. None of them fulfill us. And the most important reason why none of them fulfill us is you were created for so much more. The reason why you think those things can fulfill you is you haven't begun to scratch the surface of who you are. You are the image of the immortal God. You were created for Him. All those other things that you are looking to to fulfill you, they were just created for you. You weren't created for them. They're just for you to enjoy. They're for you to use to bless other people. They're not ever meant to satisfy you. You were meant for so much more. You are the image of the immortal God. You are, uh, let me say this, I, this is... Um, the bulletin from Tim Keller's funeral, if you want, would like it, I would be glad to share it with you. It's beautiful. And he has this quote in it uh, from C.S. Lewis. He says, He will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright and stainless mirror, which reflects back to God perfectly his own boundless power and delight and goodness, the process will be long and, and in parts very painful, but that is what we are in for nothing less, nothing less you 're created to be immortal you 're created to be glorious the The existence we now know is is a flimsy almost see-through dream compared to what we have before us. We're created to be temples of the living God. Temples of the living God. And and that's what I want you to to see and to think about and meditate on. What, What do you already have? if you want to deal with this discontentment, if you want to deal with this lack of joy, if you want to deal with this lack of peace, then meditate on what you already have. You are Christ in you. See, and this is hard, but we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it this fall. God um, could not dwell with men, with humans, once they were sinful, right? And so he cast... Adam and Eve, out of the Garden of Eden. You know that story. And he begins working with them because that was his desire. His desire was to dwell with us. And so he begins working with them. And, and soon, not long after, uh, well, when, once he calls Moses, he has them build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is filled with the glory of God. And because it is filled with the glory of God, only Moses was allowed to go in. And the, there was like a big tornado of, of glory in it. Uh, big enough that the entire uh, nation of Israel could be shaded by its cloud in this day and, and be lit up and warmed by its fire at night. And, and they, they dwelt with that for years until... Uh, David comes along and he asks to build a temple, and Solomon builds a temple. And and uh, once the temple is finally built, the glory of God falls on it. Solomon dedicates it, and the glory of God f- falls on it and fills it, right. And the the priests have to leave; they have to run out of there. They can't. St- it's too great. They can't stand to be in the presence of this glory that, that fills it. And, and we get, it wasn't always like that. Priests did have to go in and out, and they did make sacrifices there. And, uh, but there, we have different glimpses of, of times when, when God filled it. Remember, Isaiah went to the temple, and he opens the door, and he walks in, and he sees the fullness of God. The train of his robe fills the temple. He's hidden by great smoke. He's got angels singing out to him, holy, holy, holy. And and Isaiah can't stand to be in the presence of it, and he, he cries out, oh no, woe is me, I'm undone. And the angels come to him and take away his sin and allow him to stand before the Lord's presence. Get a sense of that. Try to just imagine a light that's so bright that you'd have to flee from this room. Now, hear what the Apostle Paul says about you. He says that he is praying for you that you would know God in all his fullness. Uh, Ephesians 3. Ephesians, yeah, 3. Sorry, I don't have it marked. I want to read it to get it just right. I want, I'm praying for you that you'd be strengthened in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the presence, the the breadth, the length, the height and depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be be filled with all the fullness of God. Why do you have an aching, yearning void within you? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are designed to have the fullness of God within you. And our calling is for us to walk around like that until we bring blessing and the fullness of God into every setting we walk into so that eventually this entire earth is sanctified and the fullness of God can dwell amongst us again. And we can see Him face to face. You need to meditate on that. It's so easy to forget that. It's so easy to just kind of go, yeah, 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 fullness of God. But what I really need is a peanut butter sandwich. Don't laugh. I say that to myself every night at 930. (laughs) The fullness of God dwells in you. And and we are becoming more and more beautiful and and transformed into his image just by beholding his glory. That That is what we have. And if we realize that, we realize we have everything. What does it say in the the call to worship? He says, keep your life free from the law of money. Be content with what what you have. Why? Because he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why should you be content? You have God. You have him. I heard this story. Um, years and years ago about uh, a landowner who had just enormous property and dams and um, fields and animals and houses and barns. And his son was just uh, a 'er ne'er-do-well, lazy, um, irresponsible boy who just had squandered everything he'd ever had. And so as he was getting older, he called his son in and said, Son, I'm I'm not going to live too much longer, and I want you to know that I've just rewritten my will. And in the will, I've said you can have one thing. I've identified that you can have one thing. You can have any, each of, any of our fields. You can have the horses. You can have the cattle. You can have the sheep. You can have the barn. You can have the house. You can have the, the guest house. You can have one thing. But I'm giving everything else to Sam. Because Sam has served me faithfully. He has managed this farm he, he served me faithfully his entire life, and I know that I can entrust it to him. And lots of people make their living from this farm. And, and if it goes into the ground, their, their lifestyle, their, their livelihood is going to go down with it, and it needs to be maintained. So I'm giving everything to Sam. And the son looks at him and goes, wait a minute. You're giving me one thing. Yeah. And you're giving our servant everything else. Yes, I'm giving everything else to Sam. And I get to pick one thing, and you give me that one thing, whatever it is. He said, yeah. He said, I guess I'll take Sam. Because if I get Sam, I get it all. And that's the gospel, that once we take Christ, once we receive him, once we know him, we've got it all. And we can believe that whatever it is that that we don't have, those things that are just out of reach, they are just out of reach because the Lord of the universe, who loves us so much that he gave his only son for us, doesn't think we need them right now. And whatever it is that he's given us, we know that he has given it to us because the Lord of the universe, the all-wise, mighty God of the universe, who loves you so much that he gave his own son to you, he wanted you to be the steward of that right now. And, and that begins to transform our life. And so we, we go into this day-to-day battle of, of enjoying what we have without becoming slaves to it. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, he says that he's learned the secret. He says, I'm not talking about being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be in any circumstance, abundance or need, and be content. And And how does he do that? As you read his story, you realize that he he poured out everything that he had for others. And I really do think that's the key. You see... You can't practice a negative. You really can't. If you want to just destroy somebody's golf swing, like me, if you want to just, like if I, in, in the unlikely occurrence that we're playing golf and I'm winning, um, all you have to do is go, Ricky, you just don't look relaxed. Could you relax just a little bit? I'll spend the rest of the day going, am I relaxed? Am I, am I relaxed now? Because relaxation is just the opposite of tension, right? And so I'm like swinging my club like this and Relax. You can't practice a negative. You can't go around life going, am I being greedy? Am I thinking about money too much? But you can practice generosity. You can assume that the money you have is there to bless others. And it's so cool when you begin to think that way. I I love uh, certain characters who obviously can do things we can't, right? Shaquille O'Neal, larger than life in every possible way. But he has a rule, and his rule is Every time he goes into a store, he has to buy something for someone else before he'll buy something for himself. And it's just so cool to watch him, you know, go into a Walmart and go up to a kid and go, you think your mom will let me buy you a bike? You need a bike? And the kid's freaked out, right? And it's, it's like the greatest moment of his life. And long after he's racked that bike and outgrown it, he's going to remember the day that Shaquille O'Neal gave him a bike, like, if you could do that, wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make somebody that happy? If you can bless somebody with what you have, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Um, if pride is your problem, you could think around, think, go around thinking to yourself, am I thinking about myself? Am I thinking of myself too much? I think I am thinking about myself. Am I thinking about myself right now? I think it must be because I'm thinking about myself. So I wonder if I'm thinking about myself too highly. The answer is yes. Think about other people. Uh, serve other people. Give give yourself. Just be looking at other people and and asking yourself, Lord, how? Why have you put them in my life right now? I was getting stretched at Stretch Lab the other day. I'm at that age where I can't even stretch myself. And uh, this sweet girl who was stretching, we were talking, and she was talking about her morning and how her and she was just thought it was funny. Like her car broke down, and so she had to take an Uber to work. And then she forgot her. She forgot her purse, and she had to Uber back to the house, and then back to work. And then um, we quickly did the calculations, and I said, "Are you going to make enough money in this day of work to pay for that Uber?" And she goes, "I don't know." And I had money in my pocket, and so I gave it to her. Why not? I had plenty. I had a car. My car has gas in it. I didn't have to Uber to work that day. Why wouldn't you? Serve somebody else. That's what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. If if work is your issue, sit down with your wife and just set the hours. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Take a day of rest. Take one day a week when you're not going to work. And if, if your job won't allow that, you might need to find another one. If your spouse is just not everything you think she ought to be or everything you think he ought to be, stop trying to manipulate them to make yourself happy and start trying to serve them. Serve them with your body, as the Apostle Paul says. Serve them with your s- whole self. Uh, Paul Tripp tells a story of a couple that went, um, went to a counselor and the counselor said, y'all need to start having a date night. And I uh, said, so all right, we're going to have a date night. And so the husband... Uh, reserves a suite at the nicest hotel in Philadelphia, and they're at this, getting this really expensive dinner. And, you know, as the main course comes, the wife's been kind of looking for a time, and finally she says, well, don't you think it's time we kind of started talking about some of the things we do to hurt each other? And he stands up and yells, I'm spending hundreds of dollars on you tonight, and you want to ruin it by talking about that? He wasn't spending anything on her. He was spending it on himself. He wanted her to make him happy. And so he's trying to trade off some of his money to, to get that. Look and see what your spouse actually needs. I just read the coolest book. I, I know you're sick of hearing about it already, but uh, How to Stay Married by Harrison Scott Key. I'm going to keep talking about it until you've read it. And he, he just, you know, has a chapter where he talks about, hey, I knew I wasn't a perfect husband, but that's pretty good. And then you read the chapter that his wife wrote, and she says, I was miserable. For ten years I was absolutely miserable And he never once noticed Actually care about the other person Don't raise your children to be marks of pride for you I know that feeling I know how bad it makes you look when your kids act up at church You think nobody actually cares Nobody But you do and we're, we're tempted to make our children perform. And if they don't perform, we get embarrassed, you know. And the kids are just interested in the bugs on the ground and the leaves on the sidewalk. And they don't care about making you look good by saying hi to the pastor. And that is okay. That is them being what they ought to be. It may not make you look good, but it's them being what they ought to be. If we want to be great, be the servant of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. The happiest people I've ever known in my life were custodians. They really are. They still are. I don't know why. I think it may be because they get just a real concrete joy out of exactly what Jesus said. The greatest of us all have come to serve D.L. Moody says that in the world, we, great, we count greatness by how many people you have serving under you. But in the kingdom of God, we count greatness by how many people you've served. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we confess that we have taken these, these tools that you've given us to bless other people. And we've exalted them into little baby gods and wondered why they haven't made us feel Fulfilled and happy and content, will you show us the lies that we believe? And will you enable us to practice generosity and service and kindness? And all those different words that all really just come into the definition of love. What does it mean to love our neighbor as we love ourselves? What does it mean to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind?